Hey guys, and welcome back to the 10th episode of Seeking Serenity. I'm Emily, and in today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing another amazing guest. Today's guest is Jane of 801 on Instagram, and Jane has become one of the most inspiring people that I look up to in my circle of people right now. Um, I discovered Jane through Maddie's podcast interview that she did with Jane, and through that I was able to learn so much from Jane and her story, and Jane really opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I've learned so much from her since I've discovered Jane through Maddie, and I'm just really excited to be able to share her teachings and her story with you guys. I think that everyone could learn a little bit from Jane. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope that you take something from Jane's story. It's another long one. Again, I think that the solo episodes are probably going to be, you know, roughly 30 minutes and then interviews will probably be around an hour. So that is what is looking like for the future of the length of this podcast. Pretty much just staying the same, but I hope you guys enjoy this super long episode again. Hope you're having a great day, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Hi, guys. Today, I'm here with a second super special guest, and this just... I can't talk. This (laughs) guest is one that as soon as I listened to your podcast episode with Maddie, I knew that I wanted to work with you and Mm -hmm. wanted to learn more about you, so I'm excited to give other people the opportunity to learn more about your gift and stuff, but I didn't even say your name. This is Jane. Jane, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Oh boy. Okay. I'm Jane. Um, Nice to meet everyone who's listening in the future dimension. I am a healer slash coach, um, but really I am a yoga and meditation teacher. I work in the Akashic Records and I am a Reiki practitioner. So, you know, mix all that together and you can call it what I do. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my soul's purpose. That's what I do full time. Thank goodness that I'm finally at that place in my life. Um, and I absolutely love it. I'm so, so, so grateful for what I do. Um, I'm based in Salt Lake city currently, um, in Utah and yeah, that's me. Hello. You say currently, this wasn't a question I was planning to ask, but you say currently, do you have any desires to move on from Salt Lake City or do you feel pretty grounded there right now? I definitely don't think I feel grounded here right now. I've lived here since I I was born here. Like I'm, I can see the mountain that I grew up on from here. Like I can see the houses in my neighborhood and it's like, it's so funny. I've always like Jane of 801 is my handle. Like I'm so proud of being from Salt Lake City. I love it here. Like I think it's the most magical place. I teach yoga at the most beautiful studio in the world. And lately there's something in me and it might be that I've been in this house for the last year, but there's something in me that's like, you got to go experience some newness, like not just traveling, not just running away, but really like what would it be like? I was thinking about this the other day to drive down a street and not have like a hundred memories of your whole life of like things that happened when you drove down that street. And I was trying to explain it to my girlfriend because she's not from here, but I'm like, I just want something new and fresh. And I'm just really welcoming in 
whatever is coming next for me. Yeah, I used to totally be the kind of person that's like, I like this area that I grew up. Well, I mean, I live like two and a half hours away from where I grew up, but like, I like this like state that I grew up in. Like, I'm pretty content Mm -hmm. here. I'll probably stay here. And then as I've been expanding in the past Mm -hmm. year, I've just come to realize that like, I think I'm going to need more than just being Mm -hmm. here forever. So I feel similar to what you, you feel. Yeah, I think there's something about like being around different consciousnesses, if that's a word, like, you know, we're so familiar with the space that we're in and almost like, almost like I expect everyone to be a certain way because it's just 27 years I've been here. Um, So yeah, you know, I want to be around people who think differently and have fresh ideas and you need to go to new cultures sometimes to, to get that that freshening up. So, yes. Yeah, so I want to ask you some questions today, um, kind of based off of some of the stuff that you talked about in the episode that you did on Maddie's podcast mm-hmm. and you shared a little bit. Well, I've also gotten the opportunity to do some Reiki with you and work with you a little more. So I've learned a little bit more obviously as well, but can you share a little bit about your story of, you know, where you were at with your health before you kind of got into this growth journey that you've been on for mm-hmm. however many years and just kind of share where you came from to where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that everyone on this journey has a dark night of the soul. It's when things were at their lowest, when you were at rock bottom and you had two choices, remain the same and maybe die or make some like serious changes in your life. And that time came for me, my second year of college, I actually went to college in Oregon. So I did get out of here for a short amount of time, but I became so sick by my sophomore year. I checked into the health center and was pretty quickly put into um, full-time outpatient treatment for anorexia. So that's kind of like the, the heaviness in my history. You know, people will say, when did that start? I don't know when it started, but it manifested really hardcore my second year of college. And for anyone who's listening that's been to college, like it's not the most conducive environment for your mental health. And so, um, (laughs) yeah, would you agree? I would a hundred percent agree that I think the worst mentally that I've been in my life was some of the best years, but also like mentally some of the worst Mm -hmm. years. And that like breaks, oh no, it's like, I feel like I am constantly wanting to validate that for people because I was told like, these are going to be the best years of your life. Like, oh my gosh, you're going to U of O, like such a fun school. Like I went to the coolest college in the States and it really was like a dream. And there was this part that was like, then why aren't I happy? Like, I'm not okay. And the the environment is just like so not conducive to taking care of yourself. And um, so, you know, that was a pretty dark moment for me. When you have this type of illness, you're like extremely closeted in pretty much every sense of the term. You're keeping secrets on secrets on secrets. And I think that the biggest thing that was, well... I won't get ahead of myself because at this time I still wasn't really telling anyone the truth about me or even telling myself the truth about myself. I was just lost in this really dark mental illness and getting in treatment and and trying to get help. And I eventually came home. And during this time, I was always raised practicing yoga. I've always had yoga, but I never really was taught how to meditate through yoga. 
I feel like I was a little bit robbed of that skill um, as a as a young yogi. And during this time that I was in treatment, I just became like madly curious about meditation. Like there was just something that told me, if you learn this and you practice this, you'll feel better. Because yoga and all the other things that I was trying, like nothing was helping me. And about two years into it, um, into treatment, it's like you've got the whole Western medicine setup, therapists, nutritionists, doctors that are pretty much just trying to keep you alive. And I'm like, when does the healing start, you guys? Like, you, it feels like you're all doing your very best, but you are like missing the mark somewhere because I am not getting better and this is getting so old. So it was one of the most difficult journeys I hope that I experienced in my life was, was getting well from that. And the amazing thing is that along the way, I'm looking for a meditation teacher. I'm desperate. Like I'm going to every, anything, anything I can find that has meditation, I was there. And so I got to go to a lot of cool places between here and Oregon. And eventually my health was so bad that I um, had to take a semester off from school. And I started looking for something to keep me from losing my mind, not being able to school, go to school anymore and being in treatment. And they put a lot of rules on you when your body's at such risk. So at this point, my body was, I had um, kind of manifested this, this chronic illness. Um, it's, it's called EOE. It's basically when the little white blood cells in your esophagus kind of start to attack each other and create infections and everything gets swollen and inflamed. And sometimes your esophagus can close shut and you think you're having a heart attack and it's the most horrible experience ever. It's like a super rare disease. The only people who take horribly neglectful care of themselves like I did can get. So, you know, whenever I tell a doctor I have EOE, they're like, what did you do to yourself to get there? And I'm like, oh, look at my history and you'll see. So it's interesting because my heart chakra was like dying. It was like falling apart. It was the illness was in here at this point. It was no longer in my mind. My mind was starting to come back. So it was so bad, had to take semester off of school. Um, and I start looking for like, I've got to do something so I don't lose my mind during this time. And um, magically, this local magazine I was interning for had an advertisement for an eight week um, intro to Tibetan Buddhist philosophy course. And I will just like never forget seeing that ad. And you know that feeling when you're like, I have to be there. Like, I have to be there. Like, this is, this was for me. They're doing this for me. This is all about me. <laughs> and it was like a $50 class. And I could not wait to like, go pay the $50 and like, get started. And I was so nervous. It felt so bold to sign up for something like that. But throughout that semester off from school, those Tuesday nights at the temple were everything. So I go to this Buddhist temple and it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen I'm in downtown Salt Lake City. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have found it. Like, I'm finally here. And I sat down and I started learning and I never stopped going. And eventually, about a year later, I decided to formally convert because during that year, my health started like miraculously improving 
and all of these layers and layers and layers of shame and hiding and grief just started to release through these practices that I was learning. And it was actually at the Buddhist temple in practice when I finally had this moment where I like was looking at myself saying, Jane, if you don't accept that you are gay and that you like girls, you're never going to get better. That's not exactly what myself said to me. It was a lot more detailed and harsh about what I was specifically experiencing, but that those practices were the healing. It was the healing. I was being kept alive by Western medicine for so long while I found what would actually heal me. And that was this temple, these Rinpoches and Lamas and these teachings and this practice that I have completely devoted myself to. So um, eventually my health just turns around. I come out, my whole life falls apart. Everything changes. Everything changes. I graduate college finally. And I'm just like the most raw, vulnerable girl out there in the world. But <clears throat> this refuge of my practice of Buddhism is what kept me going. And um, eventually I became a teacher. So is that the story that you were wanting to hear? Yes, that was that was exactly the story. The My upstairs neighbors always decide they're going to do the <laughs> loudest of things when I'm trying Let's to record. move some furniture. Exactly. <laughs> um, so sorry if that is You're very fine. obvious in the recording. Um, but that's exactly what I wanted you to talk about. Um, and if I'm not, like, if I'm remembering correctly from what you've shared in the past, like you actually mm -hmm. had doctors tell you that that was going to be something that you were going to have to just kind of like keep at bay and handle for your entire oh, yeah. life, right? Mm -hmm. Like multiple times. And here's the hardest thing for anybody listening to this that like is going through any sort of eating disorder treatment, chances are your doctors know absolutely nothing about what you're going through. Like they are doctors. They did not spend three years studying eating disorders. So give them a little bit of slack. But at the same time, like even doctors who specialized in that, they, they just, yeah, you're going to be anxious, depressed and anorexic forever. So you need to learn how to manage it. Here's some pills. Here's some food plans. Go see this nutritionist, you know. And I just remember being like, I literally will never forget saying it to the doctor. Like, this sucks. Like, you are not offering me anything. Like, just being so frustrated and angry. And like this, and I will always be so grateful for whatever little voice, little light inside of me that said there has got to be another way. Like there's something that they're not telling you. And then I realize it's just because they don't know. They don't know. So yeah, I believe anytime, like they told me that I would have this chronic EOE forever. It's something I'm still healing from. So I can't fully neglect that I have that condition, but I'm like, no, it's not chronic. I'm healing from it. Anything someone tells you you're going to live with forever like, just, I'm sorry, just deny it. Just say, actually, my body's cells fully regenerate every seven years. So if I really work at a cellular energetic level to heal myself, I 100% can. And there's these days, just loads and loads of studies out there that, that mm -hmm. prove that. So um, 
Yeah, I would, if anyone's like going through an experience like that, I would check out the works of Dr. Joe Dispenza because he will um, lead you to the light for sure. So do you think it was like finding Buddhism and getting into the temple and practicing meditation? Do you think it was all combined that was what healed you? Or do you think that was what kept you going so that you could allow yourself to heal? Like, What would you like, if you had to name something that you feel Mm -hmm. like allowed you to heal from what you were experiencing, like what would you say was the healing piece or was it all a little bit of everything? That is such a beautiful question. If there is one thing that I could really blame it all on, and I don't share this a ton because this isn't really super accessible to everybody, but the actual foundational practices that we do, they're called the nandro, and it's mantras and prayers and visualizations that you are doing every morning until you are done. And I probably won't be done until I'm very old. There's like a a level you have to accumulate. And this is when I really just believe in the mystical and I believe in letting go of how and why and explain to me how it works because I was given these, these practices really not understanding anything about quantum physics or, or vibration or anything like that, but just trusting in the process And I just fully devoted myself to that every single morning for years and years and years, still practicing it. Um, And it was like, every time I sat down to do that practice, something in me was released and evolved. And um, yeah, hours on my cushion, you guys. (laughs) And so before you found that flyer, that was like the eight week intro course. Yeah. Um, did you have any history of being like spiritual? You said you were a young yogi. Like did oh, yeah. before you found that, like was, were you interested? You just hadn't like fully actually converted? Yes. I was the most curious kid. I was actually raised very Catholic. Um, and I was raised you know, in a very spiritually Catholic family where we would pray the rosary and I loved going to church and I loved reading the Bible. And I just felt, um, I felt that connection. I I enjoyed it because I loved the meditation and, um, like my mom would buy me meditation CDs. Like I, we had, I was lucky enough to have books on the Dalai Lama just in my house growing up. My dad traveled to Asia a lot, so I was kind of exposed to a lot of that Eastern culture, and I was always just so, so, so curious, and the older I got, the more I was like, Buddhism, 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 like, I'm so curious, I want to learn more, I want to learn more, and the more that I learned, the more I, I narrowed down which actual tradition felt really resonant to me, and I kept being attracted and attracted and attracted to it, um, so it's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like a past life thing where I feel like I spent my my life trying to find that home again that I remember from before. And I just happened to have been born here in the mountains of Salt Lake City instead of the mountains of the Himalayas and um, find it out on my own, which I did. Thank goodness. I'm so happy that you did because you share so beautifully with others. Oh, oh, um, thank you. So this is, this is kind of like, I don't know, however you want to answer this question. It was just one that when I was mm-hmm. writing stuff down, I felt like I had to ask. So like, mm-hmm. what does your spirituality mean to you? Like if you had to explain your connection with your spirituality to someone and like what it really means, 
to you? Wow, girl. What would you say? That is a question. So when I was a kid, I would have the most painful existential thoughts. This is what I would think about. If there were no more humans in the world and there were no more animals and there was just an earth with trees or not even trees, just an earth, and there was nothing else out there in the universe, what, what, what's happening? Like, what are we doing here? Like, I would get so deep in the thought of like, are we the only humans? If there weren't humans, what would there be? What is there? What is this? What are we? And then like, before I knew it, I would just be in this like, really anxious state of like, why are we here? And I think that a lot of like, really spiritual young people grew up this way. Like, mom, why are we here? You've got to explain this to me. Like the Adam and Eve thing is just not working for me. Like I need more. And so I think that I still get into that existential thought, but I love it because my spirituality is aligned with a very ancient philosophy that just loves to explain all of this in a way that is, is able to be interpreted in your own way. So we're not being told like, this is what we believe and this is what it means. No, it's, they call it contemplations. I'm going to give you all of these things to think about and you think about it and then we'll talk about it and ask questions and debate. Debate is a big part of our tradition. Like have doubts, like have these big questions. And so for me, that spirituality is aligned with a philosophy But the spirituality itself is like that, just that inner knowing, that inner truth that like nobody can take from you, that you almost can't explain to anybody else, but it's, it's within you. It's that, that thing that makes you feel like you belong on this earth, that you belong with humans and that there's something more divine happening outside of this earth that we're also just as connected to, just as a part of. When I think of spirituality, I think of like this net. There's all these references of the net in Vedic and in Buddhist traditions that like our consciousness is like this net where each part that the net crosses is like this beautiful diamond of consciousness. And we're all connected through this giant universal web. So I think as I'm sharing whatever this answer is, it's really that like, deep connectedness of this existence, even though it can feel so existential. That's what the spirituality is, is connecting to that, not running away from it, looking at it, finding the truth, finding that inner knowing and, and living your life from that heart centered place. I love that. (sighs) That was such a, like, I feel like that was such a full circle. Like you really, you really got it all in that one answer. That was a big question. I hope it was a good answer. I can't wait to listen back to what I just said. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like a complete (laughs) blacked out. I don't know what it was, but you'll be surprised when you hear it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how did, so, you know, the spirituality and everything all encompassing was what allowed you to heal your body. But mm-hmm. was there any like specific practices that you feel like connected you more to your body to give yourself more of that mm-hmm. grace that mm-hmm. allowed you to want to get to a better place? Like that is mm-hmm. to go from someone who, you know, suffered with an eating disorder for so long to have doctors mm-hmm. tell you that was going to be forever to be someone mm-hmm. that's able to share 
a self-love challenge. Like that's mm. quite the, quite the yeah. transformation. Yeah. So, you know, how did you get to be able to feel like you had love to give yourself, let alone mm-hmm. share others? Mm. Yeah. Self-love, if that made sense. <laughs> yes. It's interesting how, because I know that you're referencing like connection with the body, mm. but <clears throat> I actually feel like for me to get there, I had to really work on my mind, you know, just like, God, growing up in the States as a girl, like here in Utah or, or, you know, in a place where like image is everything, where the women are supposed to be a certain way. It's like, first I had to like do clear my mind of all of that junk and that took work and devotion. And that for me was actually studies you know, like really studying. I'm always reading so many books. I don't just read Tibetan books. I read everything. I'm super into Brené Brown right now Um, because we've got to start changing the way that we think, the way that we're conditioned to think, because these really, really subtle voices, these subtle energies, this subconscious voice is controlling so much more than we know. And so as I'm, you know, hearing you ask this question, I'm thinking about how much time I sat just in quiet meditation, nothing long, you guys, five minutes, 10 minutes, change your life, give yourself five minutes a day. And then read before, after that, reading a text that, that helps you, like, you ever read a book and your mind is like, and it starts to like almost reprocess and you're like, this makes sense, but I've never thought this way before. Like that is what you want to go for. You want to really start breaking things up, thinking new thoughts. And then of course, like I am a devoted journaler and I know that like people might be sick of hearing that. Um, but morning pages, three pages a day, delving into yourself. Why do I think that? Why did I think that? Why did I act that way? Why did I do this? Really getting into those questions is how I really started to unravel these horrible habits that were completely running my life, right? You have to get those to know those little voices that are urging you to do these like really self-sabotaging things before you can access the body. So those are kind of the biggest practices for me. It really was, especially because during this time, this, this first year of this practice, I wasn't allowed to do anything really physical. I could go on slow walks or practice yin yoga. And uh, uh, me back then was not going to a yin yoga class. So I really was doing a lot of sitting quietly, studying, reading, journaling. And it was after I was really able to come into a loving place with myself and compassion practice. It's something that I I teach a lot. I haven't hosted anything on it recently. Maybe I should. Compassion practice is what melts that block around the heart so that we can actually start to love ourselves. So that's part of the meditation. That's part of the journaling. That's part of the contemplations of really breaking into that heart, seeing what's in there. And then I was really able to start loving myself. And as my health improved, the way I felt about my body started to change and the way I fed it and everything, you know, it's, it's an upward spiral. There's such thing as an upward spiral, you guys. So yeah. <laughs> you should a hundred percent 
bring that back and you should do a masterclass about that. I'll literally Venmo yes. you while we're on the middle of this call <laughs> for you to do that. I 100% want to hear about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I will. It's, it's something, it's my very, very favorite thing to teach. And, um, yeah, lately I've just been teaching, teaching a lot of healing the nervous system because we've been so anxious this year, but you guys, this compassion practice is everything. So yeah, I'll do it. I would love that. Um, so this is like, I, I guess more of like a specific practice question that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so if some, if there's someone that's listening that really has like one specific area of their body that they have like a lot of resentment toward or a lot of negative thoughts revolving around that, for example, mm-hmm. for me, my like quote unquote, I feel like this is a negative term to use, but like problem area in my mind has always been my stomach. You know, like everyone has mm-hmm. that part of their body that they just have a little extra fire against. And so how would you like, do you have any tips or anything Mm. of like how you can heal specific parts of yourself? Like Mm -hmm. if you know that like, there's a lot of built up tension for resentment Mm -hmm. in my stomach, like how Mm -hmm. can you work to heal specific areas of the body? And so do you mean like when you look at your stomach or do you mean the feeling inside of it? You mean when you look at it? I guess kind of like the feeling you get when you look at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like you're just like overall relationship, like when you see a specific part, but then like the way seeing mm-hmm. a certain part of your body makes you feel. Yeah. Okay. I feel you. So first of all, I would completely change any language that you use around talking to your body in general. So even, you know, problem areas, there's no problem with those areas. Like, I I think we'd really want to pick apart. What does that even mean? You could even call it, you know, parts of myself that I'm, that I'm working on loving right now, parts of myself Mm -hmm. that are getting, that are getting stronger right now. Um, Because I really think that the more we just in general, take care of our bodies, the more that we are going to start feeling confident in it. And then noticing the parts that maybe you're not as secure about that maybe give you issues that, you know, you wish were better. And really, really what's coming up for me now is like, I grew up a skier and a cheerleader and a dancer. Um, so my knees, like they're just in, in bad shape. And then being a meditator, put my knees into even worse shape. And I was at my yoga teacher training and I was icing my knees a lot. And people would be like, why are you icing your knees? And I'm like, I got shit knees. They're just shitty knees. And like, they just, they're not keeping up. And one day I'm like, I just kind of like caught myself while I was there. Like, why am I saying this? Like my knees are doing the best that they can. Like, why would I say that to them? And I like had this whole ceremony in the ocean where I was like, knees, you're amazing. Like I vow to like never talk shit on you again and to love you and to massage you. And I like buy my CBD oil and I massage my knees and I get acupuncture on my knees when they start to hurt. And I started learning ways to strengthen them and help them. And they still act up all the time. But I'm just like, these are how my knees are. I'll lay down a blanket for yoga so it's extra soft. Like I will do all of the things to care for them because they're doing so much for me. And it's just not fair of me to say that they're 
the problem areas or my weak part or the, you know, they're working really, really hard for all that I put them through in my life. So <clears throat> you've been in my Reiki healing sessions. A big thing I prescribe is the belly rubs. Like not even kidding you. I actually learned this from my acupuncturist because it helps when we rub the belly in the direction of the colon, it helps just get that energy moving into the belly. But also putting your hands on your own body is everything. And just loving it and talking to it and saying, you know, wow, this this belly is carrying all of the organs that are keeping me alive and like blessing all the organs in the belly and and just talking to it and saying nice things to it and and saying that you you love yourself the way that you are and that you're always improving. And this is something I always think about. I have no idea. Luckily, like I don't have any pictures of myself when I was really sick. I don't think it's really okay to post like before and after pictures of when you were really sick. It's great if you're like, look at how much weight I've lost, look at how healthy I am, blah, blah, blah. Nobody needs to see proof of how sick I was. I don't have that. But I kind of wish I did because I'm like, was my perception of my body so distorted at that time? But did it look the exact same as I look now? I know that I weigh more than I did. I'm also like way stronger than I used to be. I just flexed for Emily. You guys didn't get to see that. <laughs> and I just, I always think this thought. And so maybe this is some food for some other people. Like, does my body look the exact same as it did when I was really sick, but the way that I see it has completely changed? Or am I just actually so much healthier that it looks better, it feels better, everything is better? And so I really think that in the perception of the way that we see ourselves and that we don't accept ourselves and that we tell ourselves that my belly has to look this way, my skin has to look this way, my knees have to work this way, you have got to start loving and honoring your body where it is right now. And I bet you that that perception of yourself will start to shift and change. I love that you say that because I was literally just talking to one of my friends the other day and we were talking about like, I wish for one minute we could just, I mean, you can see yourself through a picture, obviously. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a little bit less of staring at yourself in the mirror or something, but mm -hmm. I wish you could really see yourself through a, for the very first time through a stranger's mm -hmm. eyes for just like once so you could just really know what you look like because mm -hmm. I still feel like sometimes... I'll, I'll be, like, if I feel really full, I'll be like, wow, I must look huge right now. And it's oh. like, no, my stomach is just full because I just ate. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no change mm -hmm. in size other than the fact that you're, you know, your stomach is full. So it's just funny that you say that, like the perception of you, like the, the fact that you can see yourself in such a mm -hmm. way that is unlike what you look like because mm -hmm. of the way that we've been told you should look for so long. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's insane that you can literally look nothing like what you think you look like. Yes. And that's such a thing. That's, it's a really, really huge thing, first of all. So there's two things that came up while I was listening to you respond. One of them is when we say things like, I feel really full, like unpack that. What does that mean? Like, what's wrong with being full? Is it making you anxious? Is it bringing on any sort of thoughts around that's not okay? I'm not okay. What does it mean about you? 
Like, I just want you to like pause next time you're like, I'm really full. I must look terrible right now. Like, okay, let's unpack that. Like what's there? What's really there? Because there's some sort of worthiness or emotion or old wound that's underneath there for that to feel negative. So that's one thing that I would, you know, just tell you, Emily, to look at. And then the other thing is body checking. Like I, my girlfriend's a personal trainer and she loves to stand in the mirror and check herself out. But then after a minute or two, she starts to see the parts of herself that she doesn't like. And then she's looking at them and I'm like, okay, too long in the mirror. You look great. Like step away. And it's one of my rules for people that I support who are healing from eating disorders is stop looking in the mirror. If you're in treatment and you have a full-size mirror in your house, get rid of it. Like you don't need the mirrors. And I really like, I don't, we don't have any big mirrors up here, upstairs. We've got one downstairs. You can check your outfit before you leave the house. Um, But you guys, the amount of mirrors that people have, are, my parents have like ridiculous amount of mirrors at their house. I'm like, this isn't good for anybody. This isn't good for anybody. So yeah, we call it body checks. If you're spending more than one minute in the mirror, back up girl, walk away. <laughs> I love that you brought that up because literally we don't have any closets in my apartment, so mm. we got a really big, well, it's like a big wardrobe that you would get if you were having like your whole room turned into a closet from Ikea, but just like mm-hmm. one section. And we <laughs> decided that because we have literally no mirrors in the house, so we were going to get mirrored doors cool. on the wardrobe, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Any, every single one of my pictures, for the most part, is taken in those mirrors. Right, that's but nice. <laughs> it definitely took some time where it was like every time I would walk into my room I would look at the mirror Mm -hmm. and like I can't lie and say that I don't still am not working on this Mm -hmm. but ever since I have you know and I would say in the past like six months I've really become aware of doing it but that Mm -hmm. was something for me that was one of I would say the biggest triggers for starting a cycle of waking up feeling really bad about myself then binging until I felt worse about myself was it all started was the first thing I would do every morning was mm-hmm. I would get up, I'd pee, I'd brush my teeth and I would check my stomach. Mm. And that was like the routine mentally that I had subconsciously been in for years. Mm-hmm. And it was only the past couple of months where I was like, what am I checking for? Like, what do I, am I looking to see like, if What's something there? is wrong? <laughs> like, what do I want? Like, it's my stomach. Like it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, what am I looking at? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> It's just like when you really think about it like that, it's like you're staring at yourself. What what do you expect to see? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I can look down and know what it is. Mm-hmm. But once you become aware that you're doing it, it's I mean, I wouldn't say it's easy to stop because no. I'm not, you know, if, especially if it's something you've been doing for years. Mm-hmm. But just becoming aware that every time you walk somewhere and you, you know, feel like you need to suck in or stand a certain way when you check yourself in the mirror. Mm-hmm being aware of that is very important. Those little habits that we can become aware of that maybe, you know, I wasn't aware of before I got treatment, those little things that we're doing, like I would do the same thing as you, but I would get on the scale and see, okay, there's another half a pound lost, like you go. And then it's like, Jane, when does it end? Like, if you didn't lose weight that day, your day sucked. And it's like, oh my God, this is like, once I'm sharing that with a therapist, I'm like, 
holy shit, this is not good for me. She's like, do you think you could stop stepping on the scale? I'll, like, I have not stepped on a scale since the day that I decided I'm not going to do this anymore. That was actually one of the biggest breakthroughs to change that cycle because we all know the thing you do as soon as you wake up in the morning is really, really influential. And that was the worst morning routine I could have possibly given myself. Yeah, I try to do as little as I possibly can thinking about my body in the morning and as much as I can to use my brain in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I notice on those days much better. Like Mm -hmm. I know you, I know it is such a cliche to say like, get up and journal in the morning. But when I don't, when I go stretches of period of time where I slack on my journaling every morning, Mm -hmm. I can feel it. Like Mm -hmm. I know I'm spending that time doing something else negative in the morning that Mm -hmm. isn't conducive to feeling good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm a very anti-scale household. I do not have a scale. Yes. I do not want to have a scale in the house. Good girl. My boyfriend wants (laughs) to get a scale because he's trying to bulk, Mm. which like in a way I am too. Like I'm trying to get real strong, been going Mm -hmm. to the gym, working hard, but I'm like, you're going to have to keep that in your side of the wardrobe, like Mm -hmm. underneath some of your clothes because I cannot fall back into a habit Yeah, because I don't want that around. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a number that's absolutely meaningless and you can feel in your body, you know, you can feel, wow, I'm, I'm getting really strong or like you can feel with each other, you know, if you're pretty physical, you can, you can really notice each other's bodies. And I think for me, like getting rid of the scale and all the other things that we're doing and getting into, how do I feel? How do I feel? How do I feel when I go on a hike or a walk or when I do yoga or when I go to the gym? Am I feeling slow? Am I feeling strong? Like focus on how you feel. That number is meaningless. It's so meaningless. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people really struggle with their relationship with the scale. And it's like, it's not a thing in your mind when you're struggling with it, that you could just get rid of it and stop. (laughs) because it doesn't seem that easy in the moment. But like, if you're listening to this and you can't stop weighing yourself, you can get rid of your scale. Mm -hmm. I was actually working with one of my clients and she is kind of similar situation. Her boyfriend also is bulking up and wants to have the scale. And she said she was kind of forming like some toxic Mm. connection to the scale. And I was like, why don't you have your boyfriend put the scale in the trunk of his car and he can weigh himself when he's outside or a picture of the scale in the trunk. And I was like, oh my God, I love make this. Seriously, that makes me, and that's the thing, make it inconvenient. Like if it has to be around, make it somewhere that like you've got to effort. Like don't put it in the bathroom so you just walk past it every single day. I love that. You're such a good coach. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So what do you, what kind of stuff do you do? You know, obviously you say um, it's in like an ever evolving practice. You're never done learning. You're always doing stuff every day. So what kind of stuff do you feel is the most vital for you to stay on the upward path? Like what Mm. are the things that you find? Maybe not every single day, but Mm -hmm. just like in a week, like what are things that you need to hit to make sure Mm -hmm. that you are going up and not well, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone sinks down a little bit, but like mm-hmm. dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To keep to keep yourself 
yeah, it's kind of these these disciplines, these commitments to ourselves to show up for ourselves and to, you know, keep on moving down this path. Number one thing is sitting down with my sangha for practice. My sangha means um, Buddhist congregation. We meet on Zoom now. We're hopefully in July going to get to meet in real life again. Um, but like, that's a huge one, connecting with my teachers and my community that way. And it's something that my partner and I do together. Um, just going through that ritual is super important, even if I only do it once a week. Um, I used to do it every single day, being more realistic with myself at this time in my life. Um, that's really important. Meditating at least five to 10 minutes a day, really important. I'm super lucky because my job, I teach four meditation classes a week. I teach four yoga classes a week. Like everything I do involves me chilling way down. So I'm lucky that my job keeps me grounded, but um, really giving yourself that time in the morning to meditate before you go and connect with the world. Um, it's a huge one for me. Um, my yoga practice significantly improved as my health improved. And I pretty much have a whole new relationship with asana yoga physical movement, pranayama, all everything that is encompassed there. Um, I get on my mat. I try to do it three days a week by myself. Um, but you know, when I'm when I'm teaching, I'm still getting a lot of movement in. So giving making myself practice every day would actually probably start to wear down my body for how much I move. Um, so those are like the most like if there's, you know, if that's all I'm doing, I'm going to be doing fine. But on top of that, I love reading sacred texts. I love reading Buddhist texts. Um, actually playing my guitar and singing is like a huge part of just my practice of well-being. Um, and then, of course, got to journal. <laughs> I've got to journal and reflect. And especially when you're living with a partner, that's like my alone time, even though she might be right next to me. It's like she knows that before bed, I'm going to for 30 minutes be totally zoned in. Sometimes I'll even put headphones in and just like be so in my own space. I think it's so important to have those little one-on-ones with yourself each day. I completely agree with you. I feel like when I'm journaling, it's one of the most like alone that I feel because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm normally with someone else in the apartment mm-hmm. 24-7. So mm-hmm. I completely agree. I've started listening to the like hurts um sounds on youtube oh cool yeah when i'm journaling and now it just feels Mm -hmm. like super sacred when i'm doing it yeah i feel like all of the best like things that make you feel good are like something that people are gonna like would listen to and be like i've heard that a million times and it's like well you've heard it a million times Mm -hmm. because it works it's just you're not listening to it over and over again and it's so simple like i i had a time when my meditation students were like really wanting to learn some like advanced stuff. And I'm like, y'all, it's really not about the advanced stuff, like master the simple stuff and stay consistent with it. That's way more important than trying to create this like, really dynamic, illustrious, like, I feel like I probably just really bored all of you with my answer. Like, I go to puja, I meditate, I practice yoga, I journal, I read, you know, it's like, but, you know, what I'm hearing is kind of like, this is something my friend and I used to always ask each other. If there were five things, your five favorite things to do, 
what are they and why aren't you doing them every single day? So like, if you're listening, you can think about that. Like, I love playing my guitar. And so it's an intention for me to make time to pick it up every day and give that part of myself that I love some love. And I'm at a point now where I'm like, this is totally a part of my spirituality. Like, this is my voice. It's my music. It's everything. And just giving yourself that chance every day to do that. One of those five things that you love, if not all five. What a great day. (laughs) I love that. I, the last episode that I just posted today, well, I guess if you're listening, it will be last week was just about, you can, you're allowed to do things that serve absolutely no purpose Mm -hmm. other than because you like them. And Mm -hmm. I feel like people are so busy and people get so lost and like, I have to wake up and go to work and then come home and then eat and then clean and then go to bed or whatever Mm -hmm. it is people do. There's you, you're allowed to do things that don't technically like serve a purpose, another mm-hmm. air quote, like, or mm-hmm. something that doesn't feel productive. You can exactly. do something just because it's fun. Yeah. And you must. And exactly. actually I was, I was in a reading on Friday and it was so cool because this girl, she had, she had kind of lost connection with her art and she didn't feel like it was productive for her to be putting herself towards that art. And all I was seeing in her records is that like, when she is alone in her room all day making art, there is this like energetic positivity, like bursting around her. And those waves are moving into the world around her. And this is like, this is some like quantum physics, but it's this idea that like, even if I'm sitting in this room quietly praying, maybe nobody thinks that it's worth anything. I know that on an energetic quantum level, it's vibrating out and it's positively influencing the world around me. Even if I just paint a canvas all day and do nothing but, you you must trust that when you're creating that sort of magic, no matter how mundane it is, there is a positive ripple coming out around you, at least according to the Akashic Records. <laughs> yeah, I feel like sometimes it's hard to remember that even mm-hmm. if you're doing something that just makes you feel good, then you're mm-hmm. going to show up for other people better and yeah. then like you said, the ripple effect. Um, Something that I really want to ask just because I found it super helpful, but I know what your answer is to this question. (laughs) But when I, so I started getting into meditation. I was always doing the guided meditations and Mm. I forget where it was that you had mentioned that, you know, that is definitely still beneficial, you know, not necessarily taking away if you do guided meditations, Mm -hmm. but you shared about the, like the flame trick of how to get into meditating with without having to have have a guide Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. could you share if someone is like I don't know how to meditate I can't sit there how do you suggest people could get started y'all I can't believe that I'm like making a living teaching meditation because it's so simple but I remember how desperate I was to learn how so it seems so complex when you're not (laughs) when you start doing it like I mean I feel like everyone that teaches about meditation always Mm -hmm. says like you feel like you're doing it wrong but that means you're doing it right Mm -hmm. but I feel like when you start off and you do feel like you're doing it wrong it's like you you need someone to reassure you constantly you are right by feeling totally exactly And I'm here to always say that, like, if you're sitting down with the intention to meditate, even if it's three minutes, that's, that's, you're doing it, you're doing it, you have the intention, you're trying. So, and I think people think like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to close my eyes and it's just going to be blissful. Like, 
No, you're going to see what a crazy place your mind is to be. And you're going to be like, I want to be done so fast. So I completely get that. So here's my thing. I love guided meditations. I have a bunch on my website. When you're in my sanctuary program, you get a ton of trainings through guided meditations. But my rule is, if you're one of my clients, one of my students, is that you have got to give yourself at least five minutes a day of quiet meditation on your own without anyone else's voice. Because these guided meditations can become such a crutch. We pop it in. We get that 10 to 20 minutes of feeling like we did it. And then we're like, sweet, I did it. But you're you're leaning on that person's voice. Start to lean on yourself. And the way I teach is, it's called shamatha. It's, it's the idea of focusing the mind on just one thing. So lighting a candle and observing the beauty of the flame for three to five minutes. Or burning a stick of incense and just watching it burn for three to five minutes. If you like to play singing bowls, like, or just turn on some singing bowls, listen to them for three to five minutes. That's the easiest, best, number one way to start cultivating your meditation practice. And this is pretty much what I'm teaching in my classes um, that I teach here in town. It's, you know, five minutes of this, five minutes of that. And so for beginners, I started off at three minutes a day and that was really, really impactful for me. And then I was so ready for five minutes and I would just sit on the ground and look at this little tiny Buddha that I had and just observe what it's like to breathe and just get through those three minutes with that full intention of, I'm just breathing. I'm just breathing. I'm just observing what it's like to breathe. But the candle flame is really, really helpful. It's one of my favorite things because it's very, um, what's the word? It's very like deep in our DNA to feel safe when we're looking at fire and to be really like intrigued by it. So observing a candle um, is just a really, really simple way to sit and meditate and start to calm your mind. Yeah, ever since I heard you say that, like I definitely still do guided meditation sometimes, but I find that sitting... I'm I'm one of those people that always thinks it's more of like the amount of time. Even I don't think it necessarily <laughs> with proof behind it, but like my yeah. old thoughts come up mm-hmm. with like about the time and everything. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed that when I started doing like staring into a, a flame mm-hmm. rather than listening to a guided mm-hmm. meditation, the three minutes of just sitting there with absolutely nothing is way more powerful. Like mm-hmm. after effect. Even if at the end of it, it's like, okay, well, that was three minutes. But like, I find that throughout my day, I notice much more of an impact than when I didn't yes. just listen to someone, even though voices are very soothing. But yes. Yes. I, notice more uh, of an impact. I love that. And that's so true because like my classes are one hour and people always come in like, is this an an hour meditation class? We're going to sit here for an hour. And I'm like, no, we're not going to sit here for an hour. Like, the last thing I want anyone beginning to meditate to do is to try to sit for an hour, to try to sit for a half hour, to try to sit for 20 minutes. Chances are your legs and your knees aren't going to even let you sit for that long. So really, like, it's not about the time, y'all. It's about how good those few minutes were. We call it small glimpses. Just take those little small bites throughout the day and let them start to build into something bigger, more organically. 
And I love guided meditations. I love making them. I love sharing them. They're so great to get you started. And I use guided meditations on days when I'm like, so like uh, agitated and like, I don't want to do anything. And like, I feel frustrated and like, why can't I relax? And like, why can't I chill out? That's when I'll pop in one of my guided meditations, listen to my own voice, lay down on the ground. I love guided meditations, laying down on the ground and just totally surrendering to the words. That's, that's a whole other experience to enjoy. I was going to have my final question for you be, if you could add one piece of something into your day, what would it be? But I feel like we kind of, I feel like it's pretty <laughs> obvious what that might be now after talking. Um, would you, you mean for that, your listeners? What one thing? They yeah. Yeah. Like what one thing. Yeah. I, I feel like if, if someone is looking to get, if someone's looking to get more connected with their spirituality or, you know, dive deeper into the realm of connection and everything that we've talked about, what would be the one thing that you would say, if you've never had any experience with anything spiritual, anything meditation, anything like that, where would you suggest someone start? Yeah. 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 You know, the answer sit quietly with yourself for five minutes. And for those five minutes, all you're going to do is observe what it's like to breathe. Just like, Oh, this is how it feels to breathe in and out. And if you can, if you can go into nature or sit on some grass or under a tree or next to a creek or anything like that, do it there. But if you can just make a cozy spot at home to just sit quietly every day for five minutes, I promise you that quiet time with yourself to get to know what's really going on. Even if for that whole five minutes, your brain is just blah, 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 blah. I still have meditations where the whole 10 minutes, my brain is like, you got to do this. You got to do this. Remember that. Don't forget this. Remember that time. It is like, and you're just there. You're like, okay, cool. I'm watching. I'm learning things about myself. Interesting. And I'll even have a notebook next to me so that if things come up, I can write some things down and then get back to practice. So that's my prescription. Five minutes a day, y'all. It's wild when you think about the fact that we don't take five minutes to sit in silence. Like it, I don't definitely don't do it every day and it's something I work on, but when you, when you put it like that, it's like, how could you not do that every day? <laughs> but when you think about it, you go through your day, it's just like, it's not there, but it, mm -hmm. it's right mm -hmm. there in front of you. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're so not conditioned for this. And like, I can't believe that we weren't raised doing this stuff and that like I'm still teaching people to candle gaze. Like it kind of blows my mind sometimes. But I think that especially in this last year, we're all collectively coming to this big halt of like the way we've been doing things is not going super well. Like maybe we could change a few things and all of a sudden meditation is huge. And more and more people are taking time every day to just sit quietly with themselves. And like, th that's going to change the world. Like hearing it come out of my mouth, I'm like almost not believing myself. But I'm like, no, this is literally what I've devoted my life to. Like it will change the world. And it's so simple. And I like to think that, you know, our generation of children will learn to wake up, brush their teeth, write down what they're grateful for, and then meditate for a few minutes, you know? Yeah. I, that's what I try to do. I try to do it when I'm, after I brush my teeth. 
Mm-hmm. I have to I have to have it in my order in my morning. Mm-hmm. Wake up, brush my teeth, do a page of my journal, do a meditation and go on about my day. Yeah. And if I don't do it like that, I always tell myself, oh, well, it's only three minutes. I'll have time to do it later. And mm-hmm. I never do. Yeah. So if you just start it in the morning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Couple it with a habit that you already have. That's, you know, that's how we form healthy habits, strong habits. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for <laughs> giving me your time and sharing. Yeah. I I feel like I have so much that I could, I mean, just ever evolving. I feel like there's so much that I could learn from you and everything Aww. that you have learned over the past, you know, however many years you've been studying yeah. everything, all things spiritual. So thank you yeah. for sharing that with the people that are listening. I really appreciate oh, yeah. it. And you have so much to offer. Last thing really quick before I stop recording is <laughs> to share with anyone how they could work with you if they're interested, if they're listening. And yes. I mean, you obviously mentioned at the beginning what you do, but how can they go about working with you? Yeah, I'm not the most traditional gal out there. So um, if you're not from Salt Lake City, I have um, this really, really awesome online yoga community. It's pretty much um, a membership to my live yoga classes every week. And then all of it is saved online to enjoy. It's called Sunrise Zoom Yoga. If you need to get back into your yoga practice, just message me. I'll get you back into it. And then um, other than that, I'm pretty much only doing one-on-ones with my sanctuary students. Um, but I'm opening up my my Fridays to give Akashic Records readings and private quantum Reiki healing sessions for anyone who wants them. My next quantum Reiki healing session will be in June. So I'll announce the dates for that soon, but yeah, come, come play in any way you want. And you know, if you're just curious and you want to start learning about the stuff I do, you can just find me on Instagram. It's all there. I am going to wait for you to post your next Reiki session. And then I'm gonna <laughs> I know. I'm like, I know I'm going to be there. So now that I've started, I can't stop. I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I really think that that practice is what brings in this connection with the body. It mm-hmm. like 100%. getting to watch my students through zoom find that connection with themselves again without me even needing to be there to facilitate it, but just being here speaking, it's the best thing. It's so cool. It's amazing the energy (laughs) that can be shared over Zoom. Like when you think about it, like at surface, you would, I just, you can't imagine that you could do so much over Mm -hmm. Zoom, but like, Mm -hmm. wow. Until you've been in a Reiki session with me, you you don't know the vibe. You don't know the energy that can come through a Zoom call. Really, though, and that's something I spent a lot of 2020 mastering, um, reading people's Akashic Records through Zoom. Yeah, right. We've all mastered the Zoom technology and giving so many readings through Zoom. It really helped me see like, wow, we do not need to be in the same place. Like we can do all the work we need to do this way. Like what a blessing. So Thanks for having me, sister. I'm so glad to be Thank here. Thank you so much. Sharing with your audience. I just love the work that you're doing. I love watching you and cheering you on. So thank you for what you're doing. It's so needed. It's so needed. Thank you. Yeah. I hope you guys that are listening have a super good night or day or whatever time. And <laughs> that's all. Thank you again, Jane. And thank you. I'll talk to you guys later. 
拜。